Well, good morning again, church. Let's open up with a word of prayer this morning. Father, I want to come before you and thank you for salvation. I am so thankful for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that brings sinners back into a relationship with you. I'm so grateful that what Christ did on the cross, I'm so thankful that it brings us into a a new type of relationship with one another. It brings us into this relationship called the church, and because of that, we can be brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, it just changes everything about how we look at our lives and how we live our lives and how we interact with each other. And Lord, I pray that we would um, have a heart uh, that focuses on the last thing that Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, which was the Great Commission, that we think about the, these lost people that are throughout the world who uh, do not have that relationship. They're walking lost and blind and condemned. And I pray that uh, as we hear this message from the book of Acts today, Lord, that we would, um, we would realize just how important that commission is. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, uh, to everything that you would have to tell us. Uh, and Lord, that I pray that we would be a church known for uh, being on mission, a church that is known for prayer, a church that is known for power that we have through the Holy Spirit. Uh, I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles this morning, let's open those up to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. If you're unfamiliar with Acts, it's right after the Gospels. Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 to 11 this morning. And when you find that, I'd also like for you to go back to Matthew 28. And we're going to look at verses 18 to 20 just briefly. So just keep your finger there at Acts 1 and, and go back to Matthew 28. Last week, we celebrated Easter Sunday. As we celebrated Easter Sunday, we also wrapped up uh, our study of the book of Matthew by looking at the resurrection of Jesus and the great commission of his disciples. And when we talk about the great commission, in case you've never heard it, it sounds like this. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's how Matthew's gospel ends. That's how we wrapped up a year and a half of messages. 
took us a year and a half to get through the entirety of Matthew's gospel. And normally, what I like to do is I would go back, after wrapping up a New Testament book, what I'd normally do is jump back into the Old Testament. Right? I would go into the Old Testament to study one of the books back there, but as I thought through this and prayed through this on what to study next, I felt what the Lord wanted us to do was to continue on through the New Testament with the book of Acts. Since I started here in 2017, I have been trying to lay a biblical foundation of who the church is and why the church exists. In the process of that, we started with a series that I called Ecclesia, What is the Church? In that series, we discussed six aspects of the church, six aspects of what makes the church a church. Like we have a lot of add-ons that we could, you know, put on wherever, but these six foundational pieces are things that you could take and uproot this church and take it to the middle of Asia and plop it down and we still have a church because we have those six foundational pieces. So I started with that. And then after that, we looked at the book of Ephesians where Paul gives a theological outline of who the people of God are in the first half of that letter. And then in the last half of the letter, he gives a practical outline of how to live based on who we know Jesus to be out of the, what he laid out in the first half of that letter to the, to the church in Ephesus. And from there, we jumped back into the Old Testament and we went to the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is where Nehemiah gets a call from God to go and rebuild a destroyed Jerusalem. And we use that to emphasize how we need to rebuild our church. Right? That rebuilding is not referring to anything having to do with the building, right? They rebuilt a city. What we were talking about as we were talking about rebuilding is rebuilding the people, right? Rebuilding a foundation of what it means to be the people of God who call this place home, right? Oak Grove Baptist Church, right? It has nothing to do with this building, right? This building could burn down tomorrow and then next week, Oak Grove Baptist Church could meet right out there on the grass like we did all last year and we would not miss a beat, because Oak Grove Baptist Church has nothing to do with this building and has everything to do with the people of God who meet here from week to week. But the people of God cannot reestablish a firm understanding of who the church is without having a good understanding of who Jesus is. And so the next step then was to take a deep dive into who Jesus is. And to do that, I chose to go into the book of Matthew, right? I chose Matthew because Matthew made a point to point his Jewish readers into the Old Testament prophecies that show all the prophecies, all the promises of God that point to the coming Messiah. In doing this, he ensured that his readers understood that Jesus was the promised Messiah, Right? Remember, I kept saying over and over again that Matthew keeps throwing up that bright red neon sign that said, Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. And he keeps pointing to Jesus. And so he wanted everyone to know 
that Jesus was the Messiah. And so I picked that gospel specifically because Matthew emphasizes the Old Testament and shows how important it is that we know the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. Right? So we can't, because we have the New Testament, you know, I've heard some people say, well, it, just teach them the New Testament. That's all that matters. That's not true. Right? We can't understand the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament. The New Testament is the continuation of the Old Testament. Right? Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so he said, not one bit of the law or the prophets is going to go unfulfilled. So he fulfilled all of that, and the New Testament is the continuation of that. And so last week, after a year and a half, we wrapped up Matthew, ending with the resurrection and the Great Commission. And we're left with, okay, now what? Well, now what is answered with the book of Acts. All right, it's often called the Acts of the Apostles, but it was it's probably better understood as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, in the Book of Acts, we have thirty years of historic narrative that shows us what happened after Jesus rose from the dead and what that did for the people that followed him. Thirty years. Also, we get to see what their witness did for the people that their lives encountered. Right? Commentator Michael Green says this, three crucial decades in world history. That is all it took. In the years between A.D. 33 and 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion, the largest religion the world has ever seen and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It has spread into every corner of the globe and has more than 2 billion putative adherents. It has had an indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course, on the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed for all of this, the time when it took decisive root, was in these three decades. It all began with a dozen men and a handful of women, and then the Spirit came. And he's right. He's right. On top of this, we get to see the awesome power of the Holy Spirit and we get to see how nothing happens through man's work alone. That's why we don't really need to say the Acts of the Apostles because without the Holy Spirit, none of this happens. And since we've been studying prayer on Sunday evenings, we also get to see the added bonus of witnessing what the what power a praying church has through I mean they were said to have turned the world upside down and they do that through the power of prayer and it, like the commentaries that I studied said that roughly one fourth of the book of Acts contains prayer and another fourth of it contains sermons so between prayer and the Word of God, these people transformed the known world of their day. So with all that in mind, 
studying the book of Acts seemed like the next thing that God wanted us to study. And so with that, I want us to get into our text this morning. So beginning with Acts, we're going to read Acts 1, we're going to read 1 to, 1, 1 to 11. Starts off, it says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave for Jerusalem, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, "You have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days." So when they had come together, they asked him, "Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time?" He said to them, "It's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you." And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white, ro white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. All right, so the first thing to note about the book of Acts that we see in verse 1 is that it is part two of a two-volume set that has been written to a man named Theophilus. All right, Acts is a continuation of Luke's gospel, and if you put these two volumes together, you get a majority of the New Testament. Right, if you're just going by strict volume, Paul wrote more books of the New Testament, but Luke wrote more volume, okay? Luke is the author of these books, and he states in these opening verses that, the, that his gospel, I'm sorry, in the opening verses of his gospel, that the reason that he wrote the gospel is so that Theophilus could know for certain the things in which that he had been instructed. We don't know a great deal about Theophilus. Right? This is really the only time that his name is mentioned. He's not mentioned again in Scripture except in these two opening sentences. Uh, but we do see in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 1, verse 4, that he is mentioned as most honorable Theophilus. And so what this likely means is that he's probably a Roman official. All right? So Luke is probably writing to a Roman official and based on the fact that he's been instructed in things regarding Jesus, he's either someone who is curious about Christianity, he's curious about things about Jesus, or he's a young believer and he has commissioned Luke to put together these two accounts so he can better understand what all happened as Jesus lived and walked the earth after his resurrection and as his church Turn the world upside down. So that's probably what happened here. So one of, uh, one of the reasons why we need to pay close attention to this is that Luke was commissioned. He wasn't one of the eyewitnesses of all this, but he walked closely with all of these people. He was one of Paul's companions, and he 
is very good at writing a lot of detail where Matthew had zero detail. Matthew wasn't interested, right? He wanted to point to the Old Testament. Luke has a ton of detail. And so Luke says, hey, look, I talked to all these people. I talked to all these eyewitnesses. We have a lot of information. And Theophilus, I want you to understand that what you have heard, all of it was true. Right? And that's the reason why he wrote these two books. The next thing that we need to notice is that Jesus was present with his disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. 40 days. Luke says that Jesus presented himself alive to them by doing many convincing proofs and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so for 40 days, Jesus is going around making sure that everybody knows that he is alive and well. Right? For 40 days. So off the top of your head, can you think of anyone that this might be problematic for? For 40 days. Jesus is going around making himself known. We find out that in Luke's gospel and in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus presents himself to up to 500 people at a time. Can you think of anybody that that might be problematic for? Well, last week we read that the religious leaders paid Roman soldiers to declare that they were inept at their job. Remember? They were paid to say that while they were sleeping, every single one of the Roman soldiers that were paid to watch over this tomb, they all fell asleep and somehow these ninja disciples slipped in, rolled away a stone that made no noise, didn't wake up any of them, and they stole the body away. And so so they're asleep. Well, now, at this point, this is not even a body snatching. right? They didn't steal a body because there's Jesus up and he's moving around. So now the story is different. Now they've got to come up with a different story. The popular one that doesn't really hold up well, if you ask me, is that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, right? He only swooned. It's called the swoon theory, right? The idea is that Jesus merely passed out on the cross, okay? And they thought he was dead, but he actually wasn't. This still doesn't look good for a Roman soldier, right? These guys are trained to kill and they can't tell the difference between someone's passed out and when someone's dead. All right, so still doesn't, it's not a good look. Um, you know, this, this swooning would have been very convincing because they stabbed him in the side into the heart cavity and he didn't wake up. Surprise, surprise. So um, when he passed out, he passed way out, apparently. And then after they wrap him up, in 75 pounds of burial clothes and put him in a tomb, yet somehow he still is just unconscious. They put him beaten nearly to death. They stabbed him in the heart and he revives, not resurrected. And he revives three days later. Somehow in this condition, he manages to move the stone out of the way by himself he manages to avoid all the Roman guards that were placed outside of his tomb. And now this guy, who is, has been beaten within an inch of his life, been stabbed in the chest with a Roman spear, has somehow, you know, Harry houdini himself out of 75 pounds of grave clothes and pushed this stone away within, 
minutes of doing this, he's up and running around and showing proof of himself to all these people. But yet he passed out. He didn't actually resurrect. I mean, how much... Like, people say it requires too much faith to believe what you believe. How can you possibly believe that and tell me that I have too much faith? In verse 4, Jesus gives the disciples a command not to leave Jerusalem. Alright, so he's, a, he's up, he's running around, he's showing himself, he's giving many convincing proofs of himself being alive, He's teaching the gospel. And then he tells the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem. Why? Because the Father is sending the Holy Spirit. He says, John baptized you with water. The Father is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that is going to happen here in Jerusalem. So wait for the power that is going to come through the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Spirit, we're going to talk about later when that occurs in chapter 2. But in the, in the believer's life, the work of the Spirit is where all your power comes from. Have you grown in your faith at all since the moment that you became a Christian? If, that, if, it, if you're nodding your head, yes. That happened through the work and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you found any victory over sin in your life since becoming a Christian? If you're nodding yes, that happened through the work and through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. The fact that you have any faith at all comes through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Like you did not do that yourself. It is completely through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have these guys and gals that are here in Jerusalem. They must have the Holy Spirit in their, in their lives or they, they will have an empty existence. Right? They can do nothing for the kingdom of God in their own power. And the same goes for us. Right? If you're out there trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps without prayer, if you're out there trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps without the power of the Holy Spirit, you might develop some really strong back muscles from bending over and hefting yourself up, but you're not going to overcome the sin in your life. You're not going to find yourself pushing sinful people out of a life of sinfulness into a life of holiness. Right? This is only something that the Holy Spirit can do. You're not going to develop the fruit of the Spirit that way. right? It's not through human effort that these things occur. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's just not going to happen. We have to have the power of the Spirit. And they had to wait on that. And immediately after hearing this, the disciples proved that they don't have the Spirit yet. Immediately. Knowing that this question is understandable, right? Verse 6. But it does show that they have their focus on the wrong thing at this point. They want to know if the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel at this point. And what they're talking about is some eschatological promises that God has made to Israel, but right now, 
the focus is not meant to be on the kingdom of Israel. Remember what Jesus has just said, right, in Matthew 28. This was 40 days later, so there is that. I'll give him that. But in the Great Commission, Jesus did not say, go and make disciples of Israel. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Don't worry about the kingdom of Israel. Worry about the kingdom of God. Right? Go across the world. Talk to sinful people about their need for a Savior. Let them know that there is nothing that they can do in their own power to bring themselves back into right relationship with God the Father. That they need the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God on their behalf in order to be restored in relationship. Right? That's what they're to be going and proclaiming. Jesus says, you're focused on the wrong thing. Verses 7 and 8. He says to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He tells them, it's none of your business when God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Like that is not to be part of your concern. Their business is to be about spreading the message of the Gospel all over the globe. Right? To Jerusalem, and then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. That is meant to be their focus. Right? Stop worrying about the things that you haven't been told to worry about. Right? Do what you have been commissioned to do. And then what is really cool about the book of Acts is that we get to see the church literally fulfilling that in real time, or at least real time for them. Right? Because when we look through the book, chapters 1 through 7 take place in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 take place in Judea and Samaria. And then chapters 13 to 20, we see the gospel going out into Asia and Greece, which to them at that time would have been the ends of the earth. Right? And then when we get to chapters 21 to 28, we see them backtrack just a little bit and all that happens there is we see the gospel going out through Rome. Right? It's being spread through Rome. So it's it's really cool to see this. Like Jesus gave them the map and then we get to see Luke laying out the map. Like, all right, they went here and then went further and then they went even further. Right? So we get to see them fulfilling Jesus' commission uh, as they went. And it would be easy for us Looking you know, from here back, it would be easy for us to give them a hard time for their focus on their kingdom in terms of the end times instead of focusing on the kingdom of God. But this propensity for distraction, right? Isn't, it's not just a first century issue, is it? Right? How often do we have a tendency to get focused on our own personal kingdom instead of focusing on the mission of the church, which has not changed for over 2,000 years. Right? Has the commission changed? No. Has the area which we have been sent to changed? No. We are actually evidence that the commission is working. Right? We would be considered the ends of the earth to them 
And yet we still have places on this planet where the gospel has not yet reached. And so the commission is still live and well. We still have work to do. And yet we have a tendency to get distracted by our own kingdom. Right? They were focusing on Israel. But what about the kingdom of Hamblin? Right? What about when I miss the, the forest for the trees? Right? I get so hyper-focused on my own life that I forget what I'm put here for. Right? I have been given a commission by God to take the message of the gospel into the world. And I can get so distracted by my own little kingdom that I forget about the kingdom of God. And so, I mean, it's easy to see how they can get distracted about that. Think about your own life. Think about the time that you devote to kingdom work and the, the things that you get distracted by that keep you from doing kingdom work. I mean, it's so easy to fall into the same temptation that they have. They just want to see all this wrapped up and themselves elevated to the, the top of this, which is what's going to happen when the kingdom of Israel is restored. He's like, no, we've got work to do. We have work to do first. And then finally, these last few verses, uh, you guys, you know, I, I find humor in a lot of things. Um, I laugh a lot. Uh, I found humor in these verses. Verse 9, after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching. So we see, you know, Jesus is being, is ascending into the sky. And a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly, Two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So they, these two guys in white, presumably angels, show up and they say, why are you looking up into the sky? And I'm like, I mean, he just, that dude just floated away, right? Like, I mean, I... I'm sure, you know, Angel, that that happens a lot where you're from, but that doesn't happen a lot where we come from, right? I mean, that guy just floated away. And so, I, I don't know, that just struck me as funny. But, you know, they're staring at the sky. These angels show up and they say, why are you looking at that? He's coming back. Right? He's come, you, you know he's coming back, right? Like, he told you that that's not the end. That's not the end of the story. Right, He said it's better for him to go because he's going to send the Holy Spirit and it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell inside of us. When Jesus was here on earth, he was, I mean, kind of stuck in that bodily form. Right? He gave up some of his godness right, so that he could relate to our humanity. So he was not omnipresent while he was here on earth. The Holy Spirit does not have that restriction. So as believers, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us at all times, right? We are now the temple of God. And so he said it's better for him to go and for the Holy Spirit to come and be a part of who we are. But he said, you know, like he's coming back. Like this isn't a forever thing. And so you've got work to do, right? He gave you a commission, but wait, for the Holy Spirit to come, but he's coming back. So we see in this the promise that Jesus is coming back. So just in this little bit, we have the commission to go, the commission to do, and then at some point, all of this is going to wrap up and we see that he's coming back the way that he went. 
Like at some point, the sky is going to split open and Jesus is going to come back in the clouds. Right? Not this meek, humble little baby that came back in a, like, this nowhere town. Right? Everybody's seeing him come back. And I guarantee you the angels aren't going to go, why are you looking up there when he shows back up again? Right? Everybody's going to be looking back up there when he comes back. With the trumpet blast and everybody sees the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords coming back. And when he does come back, that's going to be the end of it all. And in that moment, like, time's up. In that moment, judgment's coming. Like, chances are gone. This is the reason why it's so important that we stop focusing on our own little kingdom and we focus on the kingdom of God. That's why it's so important that we make sure that the gospel goes to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth because when he comes back, time's up. It's over. And we've got people that God has sovereignly placed around us that needs to hear the gospel. Right? He has given us our personalities, our interests, and our neighbors so that we can utilize those for His kingdom. That sermon that I love to preach, Psalm 139, He knit you together in your mother's womb so that you have your interests and your abilities so that you can utilize that for His kingdom. Acts 17, we'll get there. He puts you in the time that you live, in the place that you live, so that you could be around the people that you need to influence for the gospel. Right? As an individual, I can only do so much. But if every single person in this place goes out with this commission and does what God has called them to do, we can have a multiplication impact on the kingdom, for I mean, for the kingdom in our community. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And so what we need to do is we have to get to work in the power of the Spirit. Right? We spend our time in prayer. We let the power of the Spirit do its work. But we are faithful to take the message of God to the people that God has called us to reach. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm grateful for Luke. I'm grateful for his attention to detail. I'm grateful that Theophilus wanted to have these two works commissioned. And I'm grateful that we can apply this to our lives. I pray that we would be mindful of our propensity to focus on the wrong kingdom. And I pray that you would help us to see that and help us to battle against it. I pray that we would be people who are known for um, taking this gospel message to the ends of the world. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here uh, who is struggling with coming to faith, I pray the Holy Spirit would open their eyes to the truth. Pray that they would see their need of a Savior and they would repent come to faith today that they would cry out for forgiveness and they would see how 
ready you are to offer it. Lord, help us to be people who are known for taking this message and being known for uh, pushing back the darkness in all the places that you put us. Lord, I love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.